Suicide for me was not something I attempted. I never attempted it. It was just a plan I had in my head that this is how I would do it. It wasn't something, you know, just, it was just something that I kind of let sit back there. Welcome to the Real Talk 238 podcast with your host, Denise Lee, an Associate Licensed Counselor and Nationally Board Certified Counselor in the state of Alabama under the supervision of Cotina Stroud. The Real Talk 238 podcast has real conversations concerning taboo topics, which people may find themselves struggling with that may not be discussed, especially in relation to the church. The purpose of the Real Talk 238 podcast is to bring awareness, hope, and encouragement. Having these conversations will shed light on the truth and break the lie of being the only one, being stuck, isolated, and alone because there is someone else who has gone through something similar. Topics discussed on the Real Talk 238 podcast are not a substitute nor does it replace professional medical, psychiatric, psychological, or mental health advice, diagnosis, or treatment, and is intended strictly for informational and educational purposes only. All right, let's get started. Are you a minister or the wife of a minister? Do you ever question what you would do if someone in your local congregation is feeling suicidal? Do you know what signs to look for if someone was feeling suicidal or had a history of trauma? Do you know what to do or how to approach an individual who has been impacted by someone close to them who has completed a suicide? What many people do not know is that suicide impacts over 800,000 people worldwide every year. Well, now until February 15th, 2022, I, Denise Lee, the host of the Real Talk 238 podcast, will be conducting a free training for those who are ministers or the spouse of a minister. This can include a pastor, a pastoral team, the church leadership, an evangelist, or a missionary. Topics that will be covered in this training is appropriate terminology to use, what the risks of suicide are, the facts versus the myths surrounding suicide, how to identify warning signs, how to identify the protective factors in relation to suicide, how to recognize compassion fatigue versus what burnout is, how our brains and bodies respond to trauma, how to recognize signs of either unhealed trauma or an individual who has not disclosed they've had a trauma history, appropriate questions to ask in cases of either trauma or suicide, necessary steps to take when someone has suicidal thoughts, has a history of trauma, or is struggling with compassion fatigue, creating a mental health team in your congregation, steps to take after a suicide has been completed, and then aftercare for the individual whose family member, church member, or someone on their pastoral team has completed a suicide. This training will consist of four hours and going to cover both suicide awareness and prevention and trauma-informed care. And it can take place either virtually or in person. This training is part of a research project that is a requirement of the education specialist of the Clinical Mental Health Counseling Program that I am currently involved in and taking at Jacksonville State University. To participate in this training, you must be 18 years of age or older. You must be involved in ministry of some capacity, and that includes those who are licensed. It can also include those who are not licensed as ministers. They must also complete the required documents that go with this training and a two-month post-training follow-up interview. If you are interested in the free training for ministry, please send me an email at info, that's I-N-F-O, at liferecoverycounseling.com stating you would like to sign up for the training for ministry on suicide awareness and prevention and trauma-informed care. You can also find the information on the Real Talk 238 podcast Facebook page. Now, let's get started with the next episode of the Real Talk 238 podcast. And here we go. 
Hey everyone, welcome to the Real Talk 238 podcast. My name is Denise Lee and I am your host. And today I'm excited to have my guest. Her name is Ginger Labatt and she's from Addison, Illinois. She is a pastor's wife among many other things. She's married to Brian and they've been married for 29 years. She has two daughters, Brielle and Ashlyn, and she has two son-in-loves, Sawyer and Nate, and a Yorkie poo named Roxy. And she's been in church all her life. She's fifth generation. Her and her husband pastor at Calvary UPC in Illinois. Besides being a pastor's wife, she's also a music coordinator and she teaches the adult life classes. She's been involved in ministry for 29 years. And she describes herself as a homebody, lover of both routine and to-do lists, always striving for personal growth passionate about helping people find abundant life in Christ. And a fun fact about Ginger is that she likes to ride with her husband on his Harley and they go wherever they can and they take long bike trips every year. And recently she discovered what it would be like to be charged by a Buffalo. So (laughs) (laughs) hi, Ginger, how are you today? I'm good. How are you doing? Doing good. Thank you for coming on the podcast today. Absolutely. Glad to be here. So what's the weather like up in Illinois right now? It is perfection. Everybody thinks, oh, I would never want to live up north. And I'm actually originally from Texas. I thought the north just had the worst everything. And it's not true. We have hard winters, but summer and fall are the payoff. It's 82 and sunny, not humid. So all you Southerners south of the Mason-Dixon, be jealous. (laughs) What about in the wintertime? How cold does it get there? move on move on okay we won't we won't stay on that one (laughs) that is funny so your husband he loves riding Harleys which you joined the club with him on that what was your first motorcycle ride with him like oh man it was a long time ago but I was everybody says oh you're so brave well I wasn't at first it was scary I was a white knuckle rider for sure but he was so wise in how he He just would take me on short rides around the neighborhood and take the corners real slow. He just knew if he could work me into it. And he knows his job is to make me feel safe. And if he'll do that, then I will ride with him. And he does a good job of that. Now I love it every year. Every year. That's cool. Mm -hmm. Where's the worst place you guys have been to on a trip? The worst place. That's a great question. The hottest place would have been in the desert We were actually down, we passed the exit to Death Valley. The temperature on his bike read about 114 and the heat index was off the charts, which you actually think that maybe riding in that, that the wind would help. No, it's actually like driving into a blow dryer. It is, it is horrible. Yeah, it is. It is an inferno. So that was the most miserable as far as temperature. The scariest would have been at the top of highway one in California when there are no guardrails and it's a one lane like if you drop off then that's it that's it that's it it's over it's very narrow and it's very steep and I did maybe or maybe not screech once or twice on that one but it's all good (laughs) I know exactly what you're talking about because I grew up in California and up highway one it's yes those there are those places there and you might have a come to Jesus moment right then. <laughs> Absolutely. You feel very close to him. Right, right. <laughs> so I asked you to come on the podcast. I've been looking forward to this because I met you last year at the Alabama Ladies Conference. You were one of the speakers. I think it's the first time I have ever heard a speaker talk about the particular topic you did. And I was just blown away. Not only because of what you talked about, but because I was dealing with my own stuff at that time. And I wrote you that note and I hand it to you and I ran off because I was like, I am not, I'm not hanging out for this one. When you were talking, you talked about, I mean, it was like right down the line. And and all I could say in that note was I am that woman. And so you talked about being suicidal. That is, it, it was in the context of something that I put together on fear that I have used at several ladies conferences because the Lord dealt with me one fall. It was, I want to say it was around October, September, October. He spoke to me in prayer 
impressed on me that I needed to put together something on this, that I needed to put some notes together, didn't have any place to use it, didn't really know why, didn't know what the purpose was. And it was about a month later that I got a text from a friend of mine. She hosts a ladies conference and she said, I want you to come to my ladies conference and I want you to do a session on fear. Well, I knew. And to be honest, the Lord would have needed to prepare me for that because that is a very, that's a box that I've kept very protected. Yeah. I would touch on it here and there, but I realized that people didn't really, they looked at me and they thought, oh, fear, that's just what she's learned. She's just heard that, or she hasn't experienced it in the way that I have. So the Lord impressed me. You have to tell your testimony because they don't see it. They don't understand because it bothered me when I would touch on fear that people weren't being changed and they didn't seem to connect. Um, You mentioned, I want everybody to have abundant life because it is promised to all of his children, not just to a few of us. I want that. I would try to offer that. And they didn't connect with me and I didn't understand why. I felt guided that you have to share the full aspect so that they realize they don't have it worse than you. You have just recovered. I had a touch of the master's hand on you. When I put those notes together, they have just been mind-blowing every time I have used them at a ladies conference. So that was the word. Suicide was within that set of notes, putting together on fear. Had you ever talked about at a conference before other than Alabama? Have you ever talked about the suicide aspect of it? I have. The very first time that was in the, I told you earlier, I'm very notesy. And my original set of notes are still my notes today. What I put together, if I go and do it at another conference, if anybody ever hears this or goes to a conference that I'm speaking at and they hear, you are getting the original set of notes. Now, the Lord does move and operate because I think at that conference, I actually said there's somebody in the room. I did it in Oklahoma one time. And when you have the spirit, when you operate in the spirit, you're led by the spirit and the Lord does different things for different conferences based off of who is there. But my base structure and skeletal set of notes, those are the same ones. So from the very first conference that I ever spoke on fear, which would have been in, I want to say it was 2019. I did. I I talked about suicide because it is part of my testimony. And for people out there, particularly, and I want to say older generations, because you're fifth generation. So I'm like talking about like those who are third generation who back in the 40s and 50s and 60s, they didn't talk about this stuff. No. In fact, I would venture to say that my generation, I'm 48. My generation are some of the very first to even feel comfortable enough to broach the topic. There's a generation right above me, somewhere in between my mom's generation and me. There's a cushion in there, especially in ministry, I think, because they started seeing the need that kind of opened that door for us. But I think when I talk with my peer group, especially ministers' wives, we not only see the need, we're not afraid to touch on it. We're not afraid to just approach it for the most part. So yeah, I would definitely say back in the day, I remember the phrase, you don't air your dirty laundry. Yeah. Things like just go home and fix it. If you just have a prayer meeting that will just talk to the Lord, don't talk to anybody else. I mean, I remember even as a child that counseling and therapy and those kinds of things, they definitely had a negative connotation. They weren't just mental health. Mental health meant you were mentally not stable. Well, the reality is at some point we all struggle with being stable, both physically, mentally. I think we have a better understanding and we're able to realize there's nothing wrong with us if we struggle. I have people that come to my practice, they'll tell me that they're Christian. I'm like, okay. And they're like, but I'm struggling with depression. I'm struggling with these thoughts. I'm like, okay, so what does that have to do with you being a Christian? And it's very interesting. And then I throw in a curveball to them. And it's like, they don't know where to put it. I'm like, don't you think that God ever felt sad or down or depressed? Don't you think that Jesus ever felt depressed? I mean, come on, he was in the garden bawling his eyes out, knowing what he was getting ready to face. I don't think he was jumping for joy. Mm -mm. And they'd never look at it like that. No. And actually, when you have a spiritual walk, specifically Christian with the Lord, when you are I mean, not just I'm spiritual, but when you actually claim to be a Christian, and I want to add on spirit-filled Christians specifically, you actually do 
when we are filled with his spirit, we obviously receive his spirit into our lives, but you gain two things. You gain a savior and you gain an enemy. Christians are perfect targets for things such as depression. I mean, steal, kill, destroy. That's his motive. The enemy of your soul is to steal, kill, and to destroy. So why would we think that we would be people who have to overcome something? We're overcomers. Well, what is it that we're going to have to overcome? We don't overcome the world. He overcame the world. We overcome the things in our life, such as depression, fear. You read the book of Psalms, every emotion that you could possibly think up is right there in the book of Psalms. Yes. I mean, all of them, fear, anger, passion, excitement, it runs the gamut. Well, if we're not supposed to have those, then they wouldn't be in there. We're given the tools to overcome whatever needs to be overcome. Again, I go back to abundant life is not for a few. We don't get to say, accept me or why not me? Abundant life is promised to everybody. And Christians are going to struggle. We have to embrace the fact that we are going to struggle. That is part of the Christian walk is overcoming struggle. And it could vary for different ones. Well, even myself, I struggle with anxiety. Like going to the store is not a fun event for me, but it's one of those things that I struggle with and that I've had to do some work on. For some people, it's fear. And I know with all this COVID stuff going on, that fear has been amped up a hundred times over. And it's, it's really sad. I've got medical professionals that see me and it's like they're so bombarded because they're constantly hit and constantly hit day and night because all they're seeing is just a lot of people struggling. And then of course people die with this. It's beyond what they ever expected. And then of course there's therapists like myself. Well, we're going right through this pandemic with everybody else. And it's like, okay, when do we get a chance to breathe here? But that's where God comes into play. That's where God can help us through those things. And I imagine too, being a pastor and pastor's wife, here you are dealing with all this stuff along with everybody else. Where do you stop and take a breath and breathe? It's true. It's true. Last year, our church was one of the first ones hit hard in March. It was when all of this just started to unfold and unravel. And it was the darkest in 21 years of pastoring. It was the darkest, most horrendous. We've had hard times in pastoring, but that was like falling down the stairs slowly. It was just a nightmare. We couldn't keep up with the hospitalizations, with the people who were on vents. We lost three. My husband had to do the graveside service of one of his oldest friends from a teenager. He had to identify his body. Every time his phone would go off, he would just, oh, Jesus, it was just horrible. And we couldn't leave our house. We couldn't be with people. And then just about three weeks ago, our church had another round and we started being hit. And it was actually when we were off on our last bike trip and the text started doing the same thing. It was one after the other, text after text. And I actually had what I identified as an anxiety attack. And I was furious about it at first. And then I realized I never took the time to deal with my own feelings and emotions from last year. I just hid them. And I pressed on because people needed me and they needed me to take care of them. And I had to stay strong and I had to help everybody get back on their feet. And then it started happening again. And I had to address, I had to kind of unravel and then rebuild and do some very much, I guess, counseling with the Lord. I understood what had happened. And I realized I was wise enough to almost counsel myself through it because I understood, but then I just talked to the Lord and I was like, I've got to deal with this. It's all okay. You've got this under control, but it is true. It's like, if you don't deal with those emotions, there's too much fear, anxiety. There's too much out there right now for us not to take the time to process and come up for a breather at some point. Sometimes that may mean just taking time off. Just don't answer the phone. Don't respond to a text. Let somebody else be responsible for that for a minute. Yeah. I know I've had to learn that really hard because I can't be be everything that everybody needs, but I can do my best and be the best I can. But there's times where I just have to disconnect for a minute and breathe. And I think that brings up a good point, like being in leadership and going through challenging times that you've just got to realize that this is part of what's 
the reality of right now. It is. Now you said that fear was the box that you just really didn't touch a lot on. Right. I would mention that things when I would speak or when I would talk to people, it's like fear. I've encountered fear. I would say things like that. And it's not God's will that you live in fear, those kinds of things. So I would say it, but I wouldn't divulge the full testimony or depth of how much I struggled with it. And that was kind of a disconnect for people because it was like, I was talking about people, a subject that I learned about, or maybe even read in scripture, things that we feel like we should teach and not something I had truly experienced, which is different. It's different when you've experienced something you talk from a place that you've walked in, as opposed to something you've studied. That's why we overcome by the blood and the word of our testimony. Testimonies have power. You've already walked there. You're an example of what God can do. Obviously, you have to use wisdom in what you do share. I know there's things that I share. I don't tell 100% of the story. One, probably isn't always relevant. And then two, it's, you know, how's this going to help somebody if I did that? Right. People may get to certain variations of it along the way, but there's parts of it that you still, I don't know about you. I, there's parts of my own story I, I still guard. And because either I'm not quite ready to go there, or it's just not the right time or place to share it. And here's the other thing too, in leadership, especially as a being in a position as a pastor, pastor's wife, like it's living in the glass house. I don't know any other way to put it because everybody's looking at you. Everybody looks at what you're doing, how you're doing. How did your husband dress? How did your kids dress? Especially as a pastor's wife, a minister's wife. And it's usually all your fault. At least that's the way they see it. And you're, you're grinning real big over there. Cause I'm thinking, yeah, you you get it. (laughs) How do you deal with the naysayers? Well, first of all, I think that the way you navigate when it's time to tell your testimony is being spirit led. As I I'll refer back, the Lord prepared me for that. He told me the why. He knows how to deal with me. He knows how to talk to me. I do believe that he deals with us according to our own personalities. And I'm very logical. I want the black and white. I want the why. I want instructions. I want rules. Give me the directions that I can do anything, that kind of thing. So when he told me the why and the purpose, I was suddenly more than willing to do this. And then after he had spoken into me, I was invited to do it. I mean, it was so specific that I knew that that was him and he knows that I'm willing to do anything for him. To me, that's the way you navigate is we're not always called. I don't think you spill every aspect of your testimony at every pass. I feel like the Lord leads you to specific people at specific seasons. Think about Mary and Elizabeth. When Mary went to Elizabeth and said, I'm carrying, you know, the angel came to me and I'm carrying the Christ child. She's like, you need to hide that in your heart. This is not the time to be saying that. There are some things we hold in our hearts until the Lord gives us the the go ahead, the moment. So there's that first thing. The second part is the naysayers. I laugh because I know that that is a common experience for ministry. I will also say I have had an amazing experience as a pastor's wife and as a leader. Is it hard? Yes. Can it be lonely? Of course. Can you understand that unless you've been in ministry? No, you can't because I didn't understand it. I wasn't raised in ministry. I'm not out of a ministry's home. I'm from an awesome, faithful saint's home, but it doesn't matter what you do in ministry until you are the pastor. You don't understand what it's like to be the pastor. We've been the assistant pastor. We have helped. We have done all those things. And until you carry it all and it all rises and falls in you, on you, you don't understand it. You don't. Appreciate you affirming that because I don't know that I, I feel like maybe as a younger version of myself, I wouldn't have thought that. I would have thought there's, what else is there? I mean, we were, we're working, but there is a certain weight and responsibility and People may look at the assistant, they may look at other people, other leaders, but ultimately they know it rises and falls in the pastor and pastor's wife. I've had an amazing experience and very supportive. However, the most difficult time I have used those notes and told that testimony was at my home church. I was nervous, which I'm not nervous to speak in front of people. Because this is where everybody knows you. Absolutely. You're getting ready to get wide open, vulnerable with them. And all of it took place while I was a pastor's wife. So this is not something that I'm referring to as a teen. This was not pre-pastor's wife material. This happened under their noses. Some of them, the ones that were there at that time. So growing up here and having suicidal thoughts, that wasn't really, I mean, of course, teenagers, they go through, they, they go through that phase. 
and I think it's, I think it's the curse of puberty, that, <laughs> you know, cause your body's doing all those different changes and stuff. So this wasn't having to do with thin. From the time I was a little girl, I did struggle. And I talk about that, how I had night terrors, not just nightmares. I had night terrors where they even were spiritual in just had spiritual elements attached to them. And I knew that because I had spiritual parents and they understood the things that I didn't understand. So yes, there were times of fear, but it was not the overwhelming sense of fear with suicidal elements at all. It just wasn't the same. Now, I do believe that that was a trigger. That was something that the, you know, the enemy, because for me, it was a spirit of fear. Fear is not always spiritual fear. And I talk about that when I go into the different things that you need to examine before you just say, oh, and I so appreciate you saying that because When you say, well, I've got anxiety, everybody wants to jump to, oh, you've got a spirit of fear. You may have a vitamin D deficiency. Right. Vitamin D, vitamin B. Your cortisol could be out the roof. Your adrenal glands could actually be wore out. Basically, they're tired. True. It is true. And so all that stuff, it, it could play a part in how we feel emotionally. Yeah. And I talk about all of that in that, like before, I guess I kind of do a, let's qualify this before I get into what I actually dealt with. So I talk about my childhood thing. And then I even talk about how these are things you need to check for. Not everything is a spirit of fear. And I even talk about how sometimes you've brought that on yourself, what you've engaged in, what you've, you can't say I'm watching horror movies and then wonder why you're afraid of the dark. I mean, it's kind of, that's just, again, I'm very logical. I'm very black and white about things. I do think it was a weakness. It was a back door that the enemy knew he could get me on. But it was not an ongoing theme. I mean, yeah, I had your basic insecurities. I had your, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But I didn't live in a place of being tormented where it affected my mental health, my physical health, all of those kinds of things when I was in a pastoral position. So, yeah, I was very nervous and I didn't know what they would think about me after I told them all of that. I got nothing but positive. If there was any negative or naysayers, if there was any of that, they didn't tell me and they didn't tell anybody to where it got back to me. I was very grateful for that because I'm not afraid to speak at a ladies conference to thousands. That doesn't frighten me because I want to help people. I want to leave people better than, you know, the way they, they came. I want to help them see Christ and all that he has to offer them and what the power of the blood and the word and the name and the spirit. I mean, I just, I'm about it. I'm all in. And I am always that way at our church. But then when they hear my weakness, are they going to trust me anymore? Are they going to, you know, I just didn't know you can't get inside people's brains because people who don't know you view you differently than people you do life with. Right. And to be, when you're involved in ministry and leadership, how people perceive you is so different. They may put you up on a pedestal. You are nowhere near that pedestal at all. No. Which is, you know, really sad because if you have a bad day, guess what? You've just fell off their pedestal of how they viewed you. And I also appreciate too, how you said nobody realizes what it's like being in a pastor's position. Nobody realizes that. I know I never did till we assisted a church. The only time me and my husband would feel that I don't know what you call it. I have no idea if it's just the burden, but it was when the pastor and his wife would go out of town, we would take over and take care of things like we needed to do. And as soon as they came back, it was lifted. And I was so glad when they were back because I didn't like it. Yeah. I did not like it at all. Yeah, it is. But some people look at it as, wow, it's just a life full of perks. Some people look at it very real. I have one lady, she's always like, I could never do your job. I mean, I just respect you so much. I could never do your job. And I don't hate what I do. I mean, I feel like there's a call involved. I don't believe that God just calls men or the husband. I believe that we are called. You're a team. Yes, we are. And I don't hate what I do. And honestly, I don't look at it as a a thing where there's, it's harder than what anybody, you know, if you have a career that you're serious about, it comes with a lot of the same stuff. You've got hard stuff. You've got easier stuff. You've got perks. You've got, you may be the one pulling the weeds, but then you're also the one that gets to hang with the missionary. It's balance. And some people view it through the lens of it's all perks. Some people view it through the lens of I could never, ever do that. When in reality, I don't think my husband and I could be fulfilled doing anything else because it's not a job to us. It's a calling. This is the most fulfilling, no matter how hard it gets. We love people and we love the kingdom. And and there does come a point where you're finally like, this is not my, I'm doing his work. I'm fulfilling his stuff anyway. So the church is not going to collapse. It's his church, not mine. I'm just 
facilitator in here. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, I mean, we have a very, very positive and healthy culture at Calvary. Calvary's the name of our church. I mean, I felt like I would have good support and response, but it's just that little, I guess, fear, <laughs> that little insecurity of what if I tilt things? What if it's the tipping point for how people view me? And it didn't, to my knowledge, and it has been a year or two ago that I did it and people seem to be still loving me. So, <laughs> well, absolutely. You and your husband started pastoring. Where in there did you start noticing like the fear and then with the suicidal thoughts, where did you start noticing that? At? It was relatively early on. It was probably a year and a half to two years in of pastoring. I mean, there is a long scenario that I could sit and tell, and it's just wouldn't benefit anybody and it never would make it into my notes, but there was a lot of spiritual activity that we dealt with here that I didn't realize until hindsight. Yeah. It was one of those things. This wasn't like we just walked into this great healthy situation and everything was just so easy and so great. There was a lot, it was a troubled situation. We dealt with a lot of spiritual stuff. So for me, it was about two years in and I think it was just a weekend place for me. It was a place where the enemy could get me. I didn't, wasn't aware. I didn't realize what was happening. So it wasn't until it manifested in my body that I realized I was dealing with something, with something that was bigger than just a sickness. This was a spiritual thing for me. I mean, there, there are a lot of things that contribute and I could talk about them or not talk about them, but I've made it very clear that I don't believe every fear is a spiritual fear or a spirit of fear, but mine was most certainly a spirit of fear. And it was something that I had to gain authority over and address. And it wasn't a one and done. Talk about that when I, I speak on it. It was a battle. It was an ongoing, sometimes a daily, hourly battle for me. I always think it'd be great if there's an immediate delivery, but for me, it wasn't that case. It was it was hard fought. It was won by doing the things that I knew to do until I had authority over it. But it was very early on, and it was several years time because it seemed like I would deal with it on one front, and then it would pop up in another fashion, and then I would deal with it on that, and it would pop up in another way. So it wasn't something that I... It wasn't a streamlined effect for me. It was something, I always say it was like playing whack-a-mole. Like you'd whack it in one place and it'd pop up somewhere else. I really do know that I have authority. I walk in authority over this because it wasn't just in one place, in one area of my life. It was a very thorough overcoming for me, a very thorough victory one in my case. An important thing that you you said that it's not a one and done. And so sometimes that means going to the altar and praying several times, going to the altar and praying mm -hmm. several times. It doesn't mean that you, you've sinned or you've done something horrible, anything like that. But cause I know I've had to do that where it wasn't a one and done. And it was a, it was a process and go to the altar, pray God, please, please help me. Well, no, God's trying to teach me something through that process. Right. And it, am I going to overcome that? Absolutely. But it's going to take some time. And through that prayer and, and reading scripture, quoting scripture, oh my word, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and sound mind, just things like that. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. And the altar, I mean, we've got to get away from the, the mindset that the altar is for sinners. The altar is for worship. That's right. The altar, the place of sacrifice, the altar is where I lay down my own thought process. The altar is where I walk away different and change. It's where I meet him. Now, can I meet him anywhere? Yeah, I can make any place an altar. Right. I can. My, my bedroom floor has been an altar. My basement has been an altar. My car. I found place of places of refuge, quoting scripture in public restrooms before because it, anxiety would overtake me in such a horrendous way. The word is powerful wherever it is spoken. Right. But altars are not just when, when a pastor makes an altar call, he's not making an appeal just to the sinner. And let's just say he did preach a message that was solely to sinners. The best way to make sinners feel comfortable to coming down to the altar is when everybody else floods the altar. So, you know, the altar is not just a place for sinners. That is an old fashioned, and I'm all about old fashioned. Again, I'm fifth generation. Let's, you know, let, let's do it the old fashioned way, but some old fashioned mindsets are not healthy to a growing relationship with the Lord. I mean, if you only think the altar is for sinners, then you're not going to go and worship. The altar wasn't only for sinners in scripture. 
And that makes me think of, you know, you said, how you said the altar, you know, it's a place for worship and it really is. And it, my mind instantly went to Job. you know, here he was, he lost pretty much everything except for some, some naysayer friends. <laughs> That's where the original naysayers were at his friends. Right. And a bad wife. <laughs> and, a, and his wife, who was just, she was bitter because here she lost, she lost her children. And so Job, he, in that scripture there, the word is, I believe it was worship. But when you look it up, he laid himself out before God. That was his way to worship God through whatever he needed right. to do to get through that moment. And that was a, a very long period of moments because here again, yeah. you, you have people saying stuff and, but that's how he, that's how he, he went through that. So I think that's, that's important to say, it's not just for sinners. It's for those of us who are hurting those. It's for those who are struggling, you know, or maybe it's for those who just want to go up and just worship. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, the whole one and done thing, that's a, a shame on our society. And I feel like that's where a lot of people fall through the cracks because we're not a generation. We're a microwave society. I mean, we, we want it now. I want it in 30 seconds. I want. And if it's not one and done, if it's not the miraculous, if it's not the instantaneous deliverance, then why doesn't God love me? God's failed me. It doesn't work for me. And nowhere in scripture are we promised instant deliverance. Right. Nowhere. I mean, are there instant miracles? Of course there are. Is God capable of that? Yes. But you, you hit the nail on the head when you said God's trying to work something out larger in us, not just freedom from whatever we're struggling with. I mean, he's not, this is not heaven you know, it's not where we're free from everything and we get to walk in, you know, never having a struggle and we're just never that way. But our society wants it now, or we give up, we throw in the towel and we question God and we doubt. And I, I'm always somebody, I'm a teacher. I, I want, I want instruction. So I give instructions. And at the end of when I, in my notes, in fact, Almost everything you will ever hear me speak on, I will tell you how, because there's nothing worse than some walking away from a conference or from talking with somebody and them telling you, you can, even if it's as simple as I can do all things through Christ, you know, who strengthens me or, or you can win this battle or you can have revival or whatever that is for that moment. And then you walk away and you have the emotion of it, but you don't have that how to. It's like, that's so great. You know, I can storm hell with a water gun and, but you're like, wait a minute. I, I don't, I don't even have the, somebody tell me how. So I will always give, this is how I did it. This is what works. This is what's proven to be true. And you've got to be willing to get up every day and do it again. And when you trip and you stumble and it hits you upside the head, you got to be willing to quote scriptures like rejoice not against me. Oh, my enemy. When I fall, I shall arise and then dust yourself off, get right back up and keep doing it. The victory is promised, but the battle is still going to be there. I mean, will you win the victory through Christ? Absolutely. There's no victory without a battle. So you, that means you've got to fight. You've got to be engaged in the battle. Society and, and even church culture, there's this mentality of it's sort of a, I, I I hesitate to say this, but it is a very weak-minded thought process that if I don't get it quick, if I don't get it how I thought I should get it, if it's not the way I told the Lord I wanted it to happen, then I walk away or I'm defeated or he doesn't love me. I mean, that's just not the way God always operates. In fact, all of his promises are on a contingency plan. If you do, I do. If you will, I will. Everything, even salvation. If you do this, you know, I will do this. Yeah. I think the other important thing you, you said about that too, was that instant gratification. It's not, and, and the how to, now this is one part that really has, I think it's well from Cal, if you're from California, you're going to say it eats my lunch. <laughs> and, and in the South, you say it's, it's a, got a craw, I got a craw in it or, <laughs> but, um, what, one thing that gets to me is like, so you have somebody that goes to the altar and they're praying and they're seeking God and maybe they go several times and they're, they hadn't quite got the victory over it. You have people, well, you just need to let that go. Okay. Please tell me how to do that. I have yet to find one person to tell me, 
how to. And I think that's important because you've, you've, you've found what works for you. This is how I done it. This is what I did. And you share that with this person. Okay, they're going to try it. And you know what? If it works for them, awesome. If it doesn't, then they're going to, God's going to lead them in another little bit further. Okay, that's one tool in your toolbox. So now you got a little bit more to help you with the, to get through this and to get over that. Then letting go is not something that you just, you don't let go of things. It's like saying forgiveness is a one and done. Sometimes you have to forgive over and over again. I mean, letting something go and dealing with something is unraveling it in your day. It's unraveling it in your mind. It's not in the altar. We gain strength and we gain confidence and our faith is restored and built. And we lay some things down verbally and we make a statement to the enemy and even to ourselves and to the Lord. And, you know, we do all of that, but then it has to play out in our everyday life. So if you, if you claim victory at the altar, but you go home and live the same way, then there won't be victory. There has to be that altar time and then go home and in your thought processes, in what you do, in your daily activity, there's an unraveling of old ways. And that's how you let go. You don't let go in in a, I mean, it'd be great if you could just like a balloon, just let it go. (laughs) Just pop that pop. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. For real. Um, so, and, and so just shifting gears a little bit and it's kind of along the same line. So here you are pastoring and then the soup. So you're dealing with the fear aspect of it. And then the suicidal thoughts start up. Yeah. It's, I, I don't even know. I think it just got too, I things just seemed too hard. Maybe I had two little girls again, pastoring here initially and early on was, it was, there was just a very difficult element to it. It was, um, we have an incredible church family. And while we are growing about to build now, it was a long haul getting here. And of course, my mind was not healthy. My spirit was not even healthy because it was consumed with this. And I had a lot of, it had affected me physically. And all of that is so intertwined, as you know, mental, spiritual, physical, it's intertwined. When one starts to collapse, it pulls on the others. So, you know, my heart was acting up. My body was acting up. Doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. And somehow these thoughts came into my mind. I thought I was going to die. I was afraid of dying. I felt like every night when I laid down to go to bed, I thought I need to go kiss my girls one last time because I'm not going to wake up in the morning. And I was legitimately shocked when I woke up every morning and saw daylight. Now, Suicide for me was not something I attempted. I never attempted it. It was just a plan I had in my head that this is how I would do it. It wasn't something, you know, just, it was just something that I kind of let sit back there. Should I ever need it or should I ever, I mean, I don't know if it's a seed that I planted. I don't know if it's a seed that was planted. Yeah. Whatever the case though, it was there. It was there. And it just kind of, just kind of sat back there as a little guess. Maybe I thought it was a safety net and it was the way to do it. Should I decide I would ever go through with it? And I wanted to protect my family and I wanted to protect my church family. And I just knew that I wanted it to appear to be an accident and not intentional. Now, did you ever talk to your husband about it? Mm -mm. Not till much, much, much later. I don't even remember. He might could come up with when he knew he would have been able to handle it. You know, already in my mind, it was to protect them from ever knowing that. So I wouldn't have talked to him about it. I only talked to one person about it. And I mentioned that in my testimony and it didn't go anywhere. So you, so you finally did talk to somebody, whoever that was. I reached out to one pastor's wife. She was a generation or so beyond me. And I don't know why I felt like that was the one to reach out to, you know, to her credit, I think it's like the generational thing that we talked about earlier. I don't think she knew what to do with me. I don't think it was something they encountered much. And so I remember vividly, she patted me on the arm and she said, well, honey, if you ever need me, I'll be here. Give me a call. And I just was like, I was so taken aback. I kind of pulled back. I was like, okay, thank you. You know, appreciate that. Well, you know, my heart was saying, what does it look like to you? (laughs) How do I make it look like that? This is that moment where I am reaching out. This is that moment. But I sincerely think she just didn't know what, what do you, I don't know if I hadn't encountered it myself, if I would have known what to do with me, you know, when somebody reaches out and says that to you, 
you know, if you're not, if you haven't encountered it yourself and you're not trained or you haven't, you know, again, in my generation, it, it is a very open topic that we're willing to discuss. Yes. Yes. And we're the same age. So I, I totally get it. <laughs> so yeah, yeah it, it's more open now than what it used to be. Uh, a lot of things are more talked about now than what it used to be. Absolutely. So here you're dealing with this year, I'm guessing year after year. For a while. Yeah. I mean, it sat back there for a while. Again, it was one of the, uh, I don't know, one of the moles that hopped up that I needed to the whack. Whack-a-mole. Yeah. Where along the way did it finally, you said enough? Because there's going to be a place where it's like enough. God, I can't deal with this anymore. You know, I'm without having a lot of time to think back. I think most probably what happened for me is I began to gain confidence by um, overcoming it in other areas of my life. So I started to naturally my feelings followed that, right? Uh, that I was, my faith was being built and fear was being diminished in my life. And I think I finally just through that experience decided I, I didn't, that's not what I wanted. I didn't want to die. That's not a thought I'm going to entertain anymore. I want to live and I'm going to live. And God has a purpose for me as I begin to dig out step by step by you know, whacking, whacking the different, whack whack all. All. you know, <laughs> one level at a time as I begin to grow and kind of climb out of the darkness and climb out of the well, I think my, my, my thinking just turned to where it wasn't to death. It was to life now. And I felt like I could live and I understood that there is a purpose and that I am called to this and the Lord will equip me and I can be okay. So I don't know that suicide was something that I just made an intentional, I'm, you know, turning on a dime and this is how I'm done with this. I think that that was a gross thing. I outgrew because of other things. I outgrew even that entertaining of that whatsoever. My whole, my whole, everything shifted to living and life and abundant life. And I talk about it a lot because I just, I'm a believer in it. And I, I know that the Lord took me through those things so that I could be someone who perpetuates that and encourages that for people. But my whole, everything, my, my life's focus turned to light and life and not death and discouragement and darkness and fear. So it was a, it was a whole growing, you know, climbing out of the well of darkness and the fear and, and, just being surrounded, clouded mind. I mean, you truly just, it's like the room is dark, even all though all of the lights are on and the blinds are open because your mind is just in a very dark place. I know when you had came to Alabama last year, nobody knew this. My husband didn't even know. I was making plans. That's where the place I was at. And I was like, God, something has got to change because I can't do this no more. And for me, it was because I'd been running been running from what God been wanting me to do running. So what do we do? Run. Yeah. yeah, I was running. All right. And so I think, you know, God took you through those places because you had people like me who were just, you just never know who you're going to reach. And that's why when you were at that conference, you said, there is somebody here. And I was like, like that note, I am that woman I took off. And the, the Lord does, the Lord absolutely, he, he, he does, he knows. And I mean, I always want to be open to that. And I've been very aware when the Lord would speak to me and let me know, you know, who or what might be represented in the room. Do I always know? I'm certain that I do not, but there have been times like that. And there are often times like that. Now, if I didn't make it clear, I had a plan too. I didn't have a time. I hadn't set in order a time, but I had the plan. I mean, the blueprint was there. I was ready yeah. to go through. I mean, whenever I was ready to, you know, move on that, that would have, you know, the plan was in place. So, and, and also something else, and uh, I don't know if you know who Beth Bouse is, but she, I heard a saying from her years ago was God will prepare you for what he has already prepared you for. In other words, we might walk and that's kind of like you chew on it for a while. Cause it's like, he, what? God prepared you for what he's already prepared you for, because yeah, you're going to walk through some things, but those things that you walk through later on down the road, guess what? You're going to come across somebody who's going through that very thing. Absolutely. And, and it's like, and then it makes sense. It's like, now I see it. 
And that's why we have to be, be willing to talk about things because he, there's nothing new under the sun. Human nature is human nature and human, this human walk, um, the human thought processes, the, the elements, the society, the, the forces that are around us, like right now, the, the anxiety and the, you know, it's all at an elevated level. There's nothing new. We're all experiencing the same thing. And if we all pretend like we're just fine, then we all truly, more than physically, we isolate ourselves. So we have to be willing to say, you know what, we're all human. And in a non-judgmental way, to be able to say, I struggled in that area. Now, at some point, you have to say, I've struggled, or I am struggling, and I am growing, I am moving on. You can't just live in a state of victim struggle. I, I just... I, I'm not a believer in that. I, I don't think that that's the way we're supposed to operate in the kingdom. Are there victims? Absolutely. Do we stay victims? Absolutely not. <laughs> right. There are, right. Victim, there are true victims of circumstances. I have met them. I know them. And they don't even have a victim mentality. They don't think of themselves. There's a difference in being a victim and having a victim. Mentality. And I don't believe victim mentality is for the church. It's not for his kids. I mean, we're children of the king, the savior, you know, but we have to be willing to discuss the fact that we have struggled or maybe that we are struggling because it's universal. We are all human. If any human ever says that they haven't struggled or they don't struggle, then you can just chalk it up that they have lying problems and that is their struggle. <laughs> <laughs> that is so the truth. I know. And I'll just say, cause I get people in my office. I'll like, have you had any suicidal thoughts? Oh no, never. Oh no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not when he was going through puberty, you yeah. know, and, and it's just like, okay, you know, and I, I don't sit there and accuse them and tell them they're lying. I don't do that. It's just, I'm just like, we just know, <laughs> I just know. And I think part of that too, cause they're afraid that it's that fear thing. They're afraid that if they tell me, yes, I'm having these thoughts or I've been having these thoughts, they think I'm going to automatically say a trip to the hospital. No. No, sometimes, you know, sometimes here's the thing with suicidal thoughts, you know, people, they do, they come They're they're kind of like a gnat, you know, a gnat that gets in the room and it just kind of, it's all around, it bugs you. That's what it's like. And it just sometimes will come out of nowhere. You don't know where, but it's what you do with it. Okay. If you try to avoid it, it's just going to be more annoying. It's just going to keep bothering you. But if you sit there and you acknowledge it, most of the time when people say, yes, I've had suicidal thoughts, I'm like, okay, tell me what's been going on. And they'll start talking and they'll start what we call, they're in the therapy realm, we call it processing, right. but they'll start talking about what's been going on. And I finally just asked them, I said, do you really want to die? Or is it just that you want the hurt to stop? And nine times out of 10, they just want the hurt to stop. They don't want to die. Or it's just too hard. I mean, it's just, everything seems so hard we get so captured in our feelings and we all have feelings i mean they shouldn't sit in the driver's seat all the time or any of the time but you know they do and, and we can get so overwhelmed with our feelings and what's going on in life and and i don't mean that in a mean way at all because that is human nature we have a hard hard time sometimes coping and you just this is too difficult i, I just right. It's an escape mechanism most of the time. It's not, I just want to die. I just don't know any other way to get out of this without hurting everybody else. Right. And, and that's so true. And, and some people don't feel like they have anybody to turn to. They don't have, you know, they're afraid. What will people think if I tell them I'm, I'm dealing with this? And other than that older person you shared, shared that with, had you ever told anybody else? Not when I was going through it, I didn't. It was a much later thing where I was even open with my friends. I, I want to say it was probably, it, it may have even not come around to conversation with other people until I was willing to put it in when the Lord, you know, impressed, you, you got to share your testimony. I, I just think it was time. I don't remember. I mean, if somebody listens to this and they're like, yes, you talked to me, that could have happened, but 
it would have been a brief mention. It wasn't something that I unpacked in any way. Where along the way, gone, you went through that, you hit that bottom, what I call the bottom, like you're making the plan, mm-hmm. um, maybe not going to go through with it, but the plan was there. Somewhere along the way, you're going to hit that bottom. And then it's like you, you say, God, I can't do this anymore. Where was that at? Or did you even hit that place? I did, but I hit it repeatedly because again, I w- I battled it on several fronts. There were several of those, those God moments where it was like, I shouldn't be living like this. I can't do this anymore. This is not meant for me. You know, where I would have a, a turning point. It would be a pivotal moment in my life. There were several. So for me, it wasn't a pivotal moment necessarily on, you know, suicide. There were pivotal moments at every front where I decided, oh, this is not for me. This is not the way I'm supposed to live. This is not how God, it, it, you know, these are my choices. I'm going to be an overcomer through this, you know, and I didn't feel all of that. What, that's what I think people don't realize is, you know, well, I don't feel like that. Well, I don't, didn't feel like it either. I still felt like I was in the bottom of the pit. I mean, right. you know, I just knew that there was a top of the pit somewhere. And even when I would read scriptures, you know, I, I might be saying, God has not given me the spirit of fear and actually be terrified at the moment and overwhelmed with anxiety. It's not like I'm feeling powerful. I'm actually feeling very pitiful, Right. but I'm reading scriptures that have more power than that. And I think too, it's, it's that thing of faith because you're speaking it in faith, right? Because what is faith? It's, uh, it's the evidence of things that we can't see, but we hope for that we're holding on to. That's what faith is. Like, I can't see electricity, but by George, if I go touch open wire, I'm going to fill it. Right. Well, and I mean, if you know, and you believe the power of the word and you realize, you know, people tend to make exemptions for themselves, you know, abundance life's for everybody, except, well, there are no exceptions in scripture. I mean, not when you're walking in obedience. I mean, you don't get to exempt yourself from the good things that God has promised and people do that. And I think Sometimes we do that because it's how we're feeling or we don't think we're worthy or whatever. And the reality is it is for each and every one of us. But when you know the power of scripture and you're walking in it, then you know, when I quote this, this is powerful. This is supernatural. And you can't separate God from his word. Right. I mean, in the beginning was the word, word was with God. The word was God. I mean, you can't, his word is as powerful as he is. Right. I mean, you can't you know, there's no dichotomy of word and who he is. So when I would speak that I knew in my head that it had supernatural power, but I was feeling terrified. I was overwhelmed and overcome with anxiety. You know, I would be scared to walk into a public place. I would go hide in corners. I would sit in my car I'd go into a public restroom. And I would repeat those scriptures, not because I felt it, but I would repeat it Right. Until I did feel a shift and it will come, but it's not always God's not giving me a spirit of fear, but of power, love and a sound mind. If it didn't work, you know, it's not a magic spell. Right. This is something, this is the battle. This is where you're fighting the battle right there. This is that daily thing. Well, you know, I felt so powerful on Sunday at the altar, but now I'm feeling fear. You raise up that sword and you slay the giant right there in the middle of your day. I mean, you deal with it right that moment. Don't let it pass. Anybody can steal away for two minutes. I don't care if you're on the job. I mean, you can take a bathroom break. There is something that you can do where you go and you say, I'm not, you know, it's not just peace that he's left for me. It's his peace. It's the peace that Jesus had when he walked on this earth. And if he can have that peace, then he left it for me. Then it's for me. You know, I I would have those conversations and I would do it until I did feel it. Yes. And that's the key right there. Yep. It, that's the, you just keep swinging until, you know, swinging the sword. You keep doing it until you feel like you've locked off the head, at least for that moment. Right. Will, I mean, will it resurrect? Maybe it may do it in an hour or two, but every time you do it, you get a little stronger. Yes. But people that think you're doing it just because you feel so powerful and they think, well, I know that my young girls that I mentor and that I invest in, they look at not just my kids, but I mean, the people that I touch, they look at me and they're like, Sister G, but you're so powerful. And you're so this, it's like, that's not how I approached my times of despair and frustration and darkness. 
I didn't walk in ready to slay giants. I walked in feeling like I was the little one, the broken one, the one that had no, you know, but it's, again, there's a scripture for everything. It's in our weakness where he's made strong. We don't stop and let that resonate in our brain. It's in my weakness that he's made strong. Where does he made strongest? When I'm weak, when I'm at the end of myself, can't do it on my own. I don't have anything left, no resources left. He's made strong. He does it. It's his word. It's his spirit. It's his battle. You know, we're, we're not left to our own devices. It's so much easier if we would give it to him to begin with, but we don't. We exhaust all of our resources and then we're like, well, God, I just can't do anything about it. He's like, well, I've been waiting. <laughs> right. That's exactly it. And I'm really glad you said that about, you know, it's not the one and done. It's sometimes you have to do it by hour and hour. Cause I literally, if I have a pet peeve of anything in the church, this is it. The whole take two scriptures, go to bed and call it, in, you know, and it'll be all better in the morning. That's not the way it is. I mean, if that works for that person, God love them. But I'm definitely, I haven't arrived yet. I haven't got to that place and I don't know what it looks like. Don't know if I'll ever get there. <laughs> I don't think anybody's arrived to that place yet. If they have, they need to do your podcast next. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, so as we wrap up today, I want you to talk to that person out there that's dealing with fear and dealing with suicidal thoughts. I want you to speak to that person right now. I would want to tell that person, whoever it is that's listening, that this is not for you, that don't believe that. Um, if this is something that you've entertained by choice, if it's something that was put in you, if it's spiritual, whatever it is, get to the bottom of it, go have all your levels checked. I know that sounds silly. It sounds girly. Go to your doctor, find out if you are physically healthy. And if it's still there, deal with the spirit. Remember that God is a, a God of light. He's a God of life. He's a God of abundant life. And that's what's for us. Not darkness, not death. So you have to believe that first. And then start picking up your sword, start doing the work you can. It's not because you're strong. It's because he's strong. Um, just keep doing the things. And then I also want to say, get help. Go talk to somebody. There is no shame in getting help. There's no shame in needing help. We are all human. Um, it may not be a pastor's wife. It might be a pastor's wife. It may be a therapist. It may be a counselor. It may just be a best friend that you trust that can help get you to the place that you ultimately get the help that you need. But don't do this alone. Don't stay by yourself. Don't let the thoughts keep coming into your head and tormenting you because that's not for you. Even if you believe I'm the worst person, somebody's probably saying, well, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I'm going through. We, we have a way of making all kinds of excuses of why maybe this is what we deserve or this is the best choice for us. And that is a lie we tell ourselves or it's a lie that we believe about ourselves. And it's not okay to continue in that. You've got to find a truth and begin to grasp onto that you haven't gone too far. You haven't done too much. Your life isn't too difficult that God can't work it out for you. But you've got to start doing the work. You've got to get the help that you need. Gather the resources. Um, go to the places. Go to the people that can help you get those resources. Because you can heal. We were created to heal. Our bodies, our minds, and our spirits were created to be whole. And they were created to heal. But we have to treat them. We have to treat them with respect and we have to treat them with whatever medicines or resources that are out there for us to become whole and to heal. So I encourage you, don't believe the lie that this is your only option. Don't believe the lie that you deserve this or that it's your only way out. You weren't created to escape. You were created to thrive and to grow and then to have a testimony. But your testimony only comes when you walk through it and you walk right on out of it. 
So somebody out there has got a testimony coming. Amen. Amen to that. And yes, I totally agree. Somebody got a testimony. You just got to walk through it. And I think I've posted on Facebook here recently that we can't have a testimony without going through the test. We can't live in shame if we don't share our testimony. So I really appreciate it. I'm so thankful you came on the podcast today. I think this has been a very needed conversation. It's definitely will reach somebody out there that is struggling because this is the day and age we live in. And I so it's true. It's dark, dark time. It's a very dark time in our world. But you know, we don't have to be afraid of that time because we were called to this time. The Lord knew we would be here and we can find peace in this time knowing that this is exactly how it's supposed to play out. And we're here. We, we're here to thrive and shine and grow and still give a testimony and focus on him through this time. Whether that we see his return, I'd like to believe that, but people still need the Lord. If you know anybody that is that is struggling with suicide, is struggling with fear, anxiety, or or just struggling, period, share this podcast with them. Maybe it's you that's going through it. Maybe it's somebody else, but share the podcast with somebody that you know this would benefit. And, you know, as Ginger said, go get your levels checked. By all means, go get your levels checked. Get your vitamin D, number one, because where do we where do we get vitamin D from? The sunshine. If we're stuck in the house, guess what? We're not getting the vitamin D. Have your B levels checked. That is so important because your B level, that's your brain vitamins. Get your adrenal glands checked, cortisol levels checked. All those things will impact. And believe it or not, testosterone. I don't care men or women. We all have different levels. Obviously men is higher than women, but if that testosterone level drops at all for whatever sex you are, it can come across as depression. So all those things, it's important. Go get your levels checked. And then if everything comes out fine, and you're still struggling, find, like Ginger said, find somebody to talk to, find somebody that you can connect with and talk to. And another thing that is very helpful is volunteer. I mean, my goodness, that right there is, is just, that's mental health right there, helping others, even when you're in the midst of your own struggle. Until next time, everybody have a blessed and wonderful day. Thank you for listening to The Real Talk 238 podcast for this week's episode. If you have enjoyed this episode of The Real Talk 238 podcast, please subscribe so you will be notified when new episodes are released. If you would like to leave a comment, or there is a topic you would like discussed on The Real Talk 238 podcast, you can drop an email at therealtalk238 at gmail.com. You can also find The Real Talk 238 podcast on Facebook, and Instagram listed as at the Real Talk 238. As a reminder, the Real Talk 238 podcast is not a substitute, nor does it replace therapy. Always seek the advice of your physician or a qualified licensed mental health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or mental health disorder. Until next time, have a blessed day.